0: I'm Christine Chicanu, and this is Wandering Hippie Podcast. This is a travel storytelling podcast with guests who have been all over the place. Um I am really excited to share these stories with you. So if you like what you hear, please give this a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to the show, send it to your friends and family, and if you are interested in being on the show, you can contact me through email, which is Christine Chicanu at gmail.com, or through my Instagram, Christine Chicanu, which if you don't know how to spell my last name yet, it's C I U C A N U. So C H R I S T I N E. C I U C A N U. Um, so it has been a while since I've recorded some episodes because you know, life. Life happens. And I am excited to come back, and we are coming back strong. So I have a fabulous guest, Christina, and she has traveled all over the world, 72 countries. I think we talk about it in the show. And I know that I'm going to have to beg her and ask her to come back to the show because I have so much more that I want to hear from her. But I hope that you guys enjoy this, and let's get into it.
1: Hi, I'm Christina Hogue, and I'm a world traveler and what is called a third culture kid. So I'm very excited to be on this uh, show today. Uh, for those of you who don't know what a, a third culture kid is, TCK, it means um, it's like kids who are brought up moving from country to country around the world because of their parents' job. Um, so they're usually like diplomats, um, missionaries, military, and business, uh, corporate sort of, and that's the one i fall into. to. My, my dad was a corporate um, worked for a Swedish multinational company. So that was the, that's the source of my travel, my wanderlust, I guess you could say. And uh, I became a journalist and a foreign correspondent, and now I write books and do freelance writing and editing from Los Angeles.
0: All right, yeah. I didn't even know what a third culture kid was. I guess I knew <laughs> conceptually what it was, but I didn't know the name for it, which I'm sure that was... Um, yeah, you know, it has its difficulties, I'm sure, kind of, you know.
1: yeah, I didn't even know there was a name for it until a few years ago, actually, and I, and that was just, like, a huge, like, relief that there was a name for it, it's, like, it was, like, I, I had a group to belong right, to, right. I had a, I had a tribe, <laughs> and, then, and then I found all these pages in Facebook groups of, of TCKs, like, all over the world, and so I joined these groups and started, sort of, you know, communicating with them, and, reading these, you know, comments and things. And it turned out everybody has the same issues that I've had my whole life. So I felt like finally I had found where I belonged, like a community. So it was, it was kind of funny. So that's given me more, um, confidence, I guess, to talk about being growing up as I, as I did, you know, Mm -hmm. it was kind of a a different growing up, as you say, you know, had a lot of challenges There were good things to it. And, you know, some other, other things that weren't so good, but, um, yeah I mean it is what it is you know we grow up how we grow up but uh yeah it was a great relief to find that I had that I was like something you
0: know yeah can I ask where you were born
1: I was born in New Zealand, uh, so I'll go through just re- briefly the whole story. Sure, yeah. um, uh, my mother's from England, and my father's from New Zealand, and they met in Central Africa, in Zambia, and it was then called Northern Rhodesia. My dad was a mining engineer and worked at a copper mine, and my mother was a nurse at the mine hospital. So I was almost born in Northern Rhodesia, um, in a copper mining town. And uh, just maybe a month before my mother was due to give birth, my father whisked her off to New Zealand and I was born in New Zealand um, in the South Island. And just three weeks later, we were off to Fiji where uh, my father worked at a gold mine. And then he got a job with a Swedish multinational company. So we lived in, went to Stockholm for a while and then to England and then to Nigeria, Lagos, Nigeria then back to New Zealand, which is where I started school, and I can sort of remember things, you know, Um, we were there for about four years, maybe, um, and then we moved to Sydney, Australia, and that was supposedly the last move, that was supposedly home, but it was not, and then when I was 13, um, we moved to the United States, and uh, to New Jersey, and that's where I went to high school.
0: All right, yeah, quite a timeline. <laughs> yeah. That's quite a quite a geographic, uh, you know, around the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, I'm sure that's, Yeah, that's amazing. So I know you have so many travel stories and how many countries? I remember you telling me how many countries have you been uh, to? Uh, I think it's like
1: 71 or 2. I think I've stepped to 72. Wow.
0: Yeah. So that, of
1: course, has just given me, you know, I have just loved to travel, mm-hmm. and uh, so I've always traveled, and as an adult, I lived in three more countries, in Spain, Guatemala, and Venezuela, and I worked as a, like, a freelance foreign correspondent. I, I became a journalist, and, um, yeah, lived in, you know, in, in Latin America for almost 10 years. I was abroad for maybe 10 years, and then came back to the U.S.
0: Okay. So do you want to tell us a little bit about the story that you're going to tell us today? <laughs> the, yes. the narrowed down travel stories that we're going to talk well, about. Well, I have to
1: say, Christina and I had to had to talk about which travel <laughs> stories I was going to tell. Yeah. <laughs> beforehand, so the one that we were, the the trip that I took, you know, just a couple months before this whole pandemic hit and i'm so glad i took it i'm so glad i did it now god i'm really glad i did it so it was meant to sort of uh to go back to some of the places that i lived as a very young child and i had no memory of
0: um
1: but i really wanted to see and um like i say i've been back to england many times because my mother's family lives there back to new zealand i remember australia been being back there um but i didn't know um sweden or nigeria and i really wanted to go visit zambia where my parents met because i'd heard about that my whole life and we always grew up with lots of african things all over the place so i devised this trip which was a very hopscotch odd trip um so i flew to stockholm and um, stayed there for five days or so and then i went on to lagos nigeria um, which was, I had to fly then to, to Istanbul, change planes, fly to Lagos. And that was a bit of an adventure in Lagos. I was only there like two or three days. And, um, and then on to, to get to Zambia from Nigeria, I had to go through Johannesburg. So I stopped there for a day and toured around there Then flew up the African continent to Zambia, went to Mafalira. Uh, I flew into Endola and then I had to get a driver to take me to the mining town. Uh, so after that, I really wanted to see Victoria Falls. Um, so that's back that's south Zambia on the Zimbabwe border, went to um, Victoria Falls. Then I flew to Qatar to get the flight home back to L.A. That was the, sort of the closest place I could get to. Um, to get a direct flight back to L.A. And I had a uh, my cousin's, a sec- I guess it's a second cousin, my cousin's daughter lives there. So fly, I had to fly to Nairobi, change planes, fly to Doha, and I was there for like a day or so, and then flew home. So it was like a three-week trip, so
0: Okay, like I was about to ask, what was it in total, trip. three yes, weeks? Yes, it
1: was a very, like, very odd itinerary, yeah. but um, because I had to go to these odd places.
0: Yeah. Um, Do you have kind of a general, like, I know flights are expensive, especially when you're getting into some of these lesser-traveled places. A lot of places in Africa, it's um, hard to find cheap flights and things like that. So did you find that it was relatively cheaper when you were doing all these flights and all these things, or it still kind of took a bite out of (laughs) your wallet? Yeah, it
1: probably cost about $4,000, the whole thing, but it was, um, you know, again... Trying to find the flights. Um, you're right that the the, the flight and this is what I read online too. The flights within Africa are actually pretty expensive to fly through Africa, and there's not a lot of connecting place. It's not easily connectable. You have to go through major sort of hubs like Johannesburg or Nairobi seem to be uh, big big flying um, hubs. So I that's why I ended up you know sort of in this weird zigzag thing going around Africa. But yeah, those were expensive and I had to fly, it was actually cheaper to buy a round trip ticket between Lagos and Johannesburg than fly one way. Hmm. So I ended up flying, buying a round trip ticket and never using the, the return ticket. Hmm. I just bought an onward ticket. Then I was going from Johannesburg to Andola, Zambia. So yeah, so, which was an odd thing. And then it was cheaper to fly out of Stockholm to, the, to um, Istanbul on I wanted to leave on a Monday, but it was cheaper to fly on a Tuesday. And it was quite a big difference, it was like $150. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right, I'll stay an extra day in Sweden. So I, that's what I did. You know, I stayed an extra day. Maybe it was Tuesday. But I can't remember if it was Monday. It was early week, but there was a big
0: difference in, in two days. Okay. So. And did you do this all solo or did you travel with somebody?
1: Yeah. No, I did it all, all solo. Um, luckily, I had someone to stay with in Stockholm which was my stepmother's nephew. Um, so they very kindly put me up um, and had a lovely place in central Stockholm, which was really easy, you know, access to everywhere. So that was cool. And then, as I say, I had a uh, con- my contact in Doha, Qatar, my um, cousin's daughter. I stayed with her, stayed at night with her. And um, she took me around a little bit. So, But other than that, it was, yeah, it was sort of all on my
0: own. Which brings up so many, like, questions about... Before we get into the bulk of the story, can I ask a couple other questions? Uh Uh-huh, sure. So in terms of, like, language barrier, did you find difficulties traveling into so many different places? Was there a significant difficulty reading signs or getting where you needed to go in terms of languages?
1: No, not at all. I mean, in Sweden, everybody speaks English anyway, yeah. and um, so that was pretty easy to get around. Um, Lagos, Nigeria, people speak English. Johannesburg in Zambia is also English-speaking through, you know, flying through Nairobi, English-speaking. And in, even in Doha and Qatar, things were written in Arabic and then in English underneath mm-hmm. or in, you know, Roman lettering underneath. So it wasn't a problem to, to sort of know where I was going. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So I to, <laughs> yeah, it's really, I've never found that to be much of a problem. People have asked me, you know, how do you get, you know, go around to all these places, when, you know, and I'm, I don't know, I just, uh, I've managed it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and luckily being born a native English speaker does, you know, count for a lot, because that's sort of the lingua franca as you, you know, around the world, mm-hmm. in Asia, I mean, in Asia, I never spoke any of those languages, and didn't have a problem. Yeah.
0: That's good. Um, I know that I think mostly I've found difficulty in, like, Spanish-speaking countries, I think. Like, Mexico, Mm -hmm. when I was there, a lot of things weren't in English, and it was kind of Uh hard to find English speakers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously I think, like, everyone should speak a second language, and Spanish is a great second language for people to speak and learn, which I'm assuming you speak fluent Spanish from the places you've lived as well. Um, but I guess, yeah, I think uh, I think people maybe have a fear of traveling to these countries, like you said, like in Asia. You, you, you know, a different or places with simple languages. You're like I can't, I can't understand this, and maybe that's a fear that people have. So that's good to hear, as well. Even going in through Africa and those places, like.
1: Yeah, I've never found it that much of an issue. Um, you know, again, you can usually find someone. Even uh, you know, I I remember I was traveling in um, Egypt once and not a whole lot of English speakers, but people would come up to you and know that, you know, you were obviously foreign and they'd Mm -hmm. want to practice English, you know, (laughs) they'd actually, you know, and so you could get them to help, you know, tell you where to go or what have you. Um, But I've found that in a number of places is that people want to uh, practice English.
0: Okay. And then my next question before we uh, get into the story is security. Did you find like safety issues or did you feel relatively secure in the way that you planned it?
1: how did that work for you um yeah i felt relatively secure uh you know sweden was absolutely no you know i didn't have any uh problem or fear there. it there it's very safe um, lagos nigeria i'll tell you the story that happened there which was a bit of a it was a bit of a hair raising experience but it was ended up fine that was probably the hairiest sort of place you mm-hmm. know um and johannesburg i didn't wander around again that's got a reputation for crime. I didn't, I took a a day tour. I booked that. Um, I was just there for a day and I wanted a day. So I just booked a day tour and just went around, you know, like that. I didn't go around by myself there. That is, um, apparently got a high, high crime rate. Um, and then in Zambia, I didn't feel, um, unsafe at all. Um, again, I didn't go out in the street too much by myself. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, at my guest lodge and they arranged a driver to, for me to, to, to this copper mining town, and then I went off the next day. They took me to the airport, and then down in uh, Livingston, which is where Victoria Falls is. It was, it's a tourist town, so the people are um, used to seeing foreigners there. I did walk around a bit myself, uh, went into supermarkets, and was a little you know unsettling, but I, it was fine. Um, you know, ultimately had no no issue
0: there. Okay, which the, you bringing up the day tours is a is a great. A point that I don't think I've talked about on the, on the podcast yet. Um, when I was planning to go to Columbia in some of the more dangerous areas, like they do have like day tours, like in the areas that, you know, the drug cartels were known as, and that still have high crime rates, things like that. Um, so that is, you know, a way to see things, especially if you're solo traveling, but kind of have an element of added safety
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that's a really good way to do it. And, and I booked that one in the, the Johannesburg one. I booked it on TripAdvisor even. And, um, you know, you read the reviews and, mm-hmm. and book and I've done plenty of that even without, you know, before TripAdvisor, I did a lot of traveling. But I think that's right. I mean, you know, then the other added thing about that is that you have someone you have company. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you're traveling by yourself and doing a lot of solo travel, then you're with some other people, to, you know, other travelers and foreigners, and it gives you some company for the day. And um, I always really appreciate that. And I think that's a good way to go. And and, and again, you know, because usually when you're traveling, you want to see certain things. And that's the things, you know, that travelers go to a certain city to see. And it's just it makes it easier Um, you know, rather than catching local buses, and that's that's when you do run into sort of language issues and Mm -hmm. things like that, it's like local buses and dealing with things like that, so yeah, I'm a big fan of just getting a day tour, and um, you know, they take you where you want to see, and and usually the person speaks English, so you can ask some questions about the place, um, yeah, and, and meet other people. Okay,
0: yeah. Well then, let's let's get into the story. I don't know if you have an organization plan in mind for telling this, um, so I'm just gonna let you take the wheel, and I'm just here for the ride.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Well, I got to Stockholm, and I managed to take um, I, you know, and it, things at the airport were very well marked in English as well. So I managed to take the bus in. There was a bus and a train, you know, super connected into the from the airports quite a way out of the city, and then you know. I saw that the the bus was cheaper, so I just got the bus, and you know got into the city. And um, did I take the metro or the metro at that point? I can't even remember. But I got off and I had a little map, you know, um, on you know now with Google Maps and stuff like that. I mean, it's very easy. But before, I would have a Lonely Planet book,
0: mm-hmm. and they
1: would have city maps, and I you know used to get around with those little maps all the time uh so but now and so then i just walked i think i've worked like you know two kilometers through the city dragging my suitcase to where this um friend of mine uh lived and you know and again it was fine it was it was just a beautiful through the main shopping center and all these gleaming scandinavian design stores Mm -hmm. and it was just it was really cool and um I because my father had worked for a Swedish company, we had always had a lot of Swedish things in our house too, and a lot of Swedish people coming in and out for dinners and parties and all this sort of thing. And my father was always traveling to Sweden, so I was really wanted to go to Sweden. And um, and I, you know, so it was it was just interesting. So that's why I really wanted to go there because um, I sort of again been hearing about it all all my life. So. Um, yeah, so I, I, stayed in a little room off the living room in these, um, this, this couple's house and they have two kids and yeah, and I just went out every day. And again, it was easy, really easy to get around. I went to the, the ABBA museum, which was another like cool thing because when I was a kid in Australia, ABBA was like huge. And when we moved to the United States, ABBA was not big here and oh. I really missed having ABBA, you know, and listening to ABBA, you know, it was just like a huge thing in the the early, mid-70s and um, so that was like really like going back in time for me going around the the ABBA Museum Um, and I went to, you know, an old Stockholm and there's a palace there where the king still does certain things, there was a changing of the guard not quite as fancy as like the English, you know, Buckingham Palace and 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 maybe uh, some of the other palaces around, but it was, uh, but again, it was, you know, easy to to get around, and um, cobblestone streets in the old, old city. What else did I do? I went on a boat ride about, I didn't realize that Stockholm was actually on an archipelago of all these little islands, so I didn't actually realize that, so I took a ferry you know, on a couple things, and then like a boat tour around sort of some of the city and things like that, and that was cool. Um, Being a, you know, I'm a literature nut, so I always like to go to what I call literary, to go on literary pilgrimages. So there was a museum to um, August Strindberg, who's the Swedish playwright, so it was where he had lived, so I found that, you know, walked up these stairs and found this little museum where he'd lived um, did that. Um, so I just, yeah, I just, and there were all these great museums there too. So, um, and they, some of them are free, some of them were very low cost. So that was nice. And, um, and again, I went into this one Swedish design museum and I saw several things that we had had in our house as I grew up. So again, that was another, like, it was just really, like a cool thing when you grow up like I did moving from country to country it almost seems sometimes as if your childhood didn't exist you know mm-hmm. it's just so far off and so unrelatable to what your present is and nobody else can really relate to it and it just seems sometimes like it's sort of like this you know surreal thing it didn't it was it was there but not re- you know you, not really so to go around and see you know the avant museum and then see this Sort of fork knife thing. I, I suppose you would call it a spork, and we have them. I, and in fact, my sister has them. That's what we use. And they, my my, parent, my mother had got them in Sweden, and um, and there they were in this design museum. Oh my god, there it is! You know, everybody <laughs> would ever come to our house. What is that? You know, how do you use that? And there it was in this you know design museum. And in another museum, there was a mention of the, the company my father had worked for, Atlas Copco, which is well known in Sweden. Of course, you know, nobody here knows it or what have you. So again, seeing, you know, I'm reading along some little plaque thing, little, you know, card in a museum case, and all of a sudden I see Atlas Copco and I'm like, whoa, you know, that's, that's where my father worked. So it was just, it brought back all these sort of thing, all these little touches of my, my childhood. Um, it's just yeah it's just lovely to walk around and, and, and be there yeah so it was it was a, a nice trip I really enjoyed
0: that what month did you travel in that was
1: mm-hmm. September it was late September okay. into October so, oh, so weather was probably wasn't too bad <laughs> no it wasn't it actually wasn't at all I just needed like a light jacket and um it wasn't cold yeah so I was probably right. Yeah, that, I was glad, though, I had made that my first stop because mm-hmm. then I, I got the slightly, you know, better weather. Um, if I'd gone the other way around, I would have been there mid-October, you know, would have been colder. Okay. But it was, a, yeah, it was it was fine as far as the weather goes. So that was nice. And, you know, and then I could, uh, because I was staying with, with people, I, you know, went home and had dinner with them and talked to them about, you know, what it was like and, Uh, you know different aspects of living in Sweden and the high taxes the dark winters Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. the famous social welfare system all these types of things so that that was really cool too um, so then I got on the plane, got myself to the airport and uh, did this weird, again, I'd fly to Istanbul, which I didn't spot, I'd been to Istanbul before, which I love, but uh, you know, so I didn't bother staying there. Otherwise I probably would have, you know, done a couple days there. And I just made the connection and went on to Lagos, Nigeria, which was a whole different other thing, you know, it's like a completely different world going from Stockholm to Lagos. And you know, it was just this nightmare. This I had this driver that who was supposed to meet me at the airport. Well, he wasn't there. So I'm standing there in the airport just kind of, you know, looking around and, you know, wondering what I'm going to do. And, you know, is he coming? Is he not? You know, and all these people, these, you know, Nigerians are coming. Do you need a ride? Do you, you know, can I take you somewhere? You know, they all want to be my taxi driver. I'm like, no, no, that's Okay um I'm about the only foreigner there there were a couple of other westerners who were oil workers and they had you know you could see that they went to a driver who had chevron and Mobil, mm-hmm. exxon on their jackets you know they they would get whisked off to wherever they go to the oil breaks or what have you <clears throat> so i'm waiting there and i call this guy he's on his way he's stuck in traffic joseph his name was So it turns out, you know, he went to the, he went to the uh, departure terminal instead of the arrival. And I'm like, why would you go to
0: the departure (laughs) terminal? Okay.
1: (laughs) So, you know, he tells me where he is. So I have to plunge outside into the, and it's nighttime. And it's just teeming with people, you know, typical kind of third, you know, developing world, African country, all these people, um, you know. Trying to navigate my way through these, the traffic and all these people to find my way to where he was. Um, so that was a little, you know, again a little, a little apprehensive. But I got there, I finally found him, and you know he took me to my hotel. I think I was about the only guest in the in the hotel, um, and he was going to drive me around the following day because I had the address of where I had lived as a as a you know toddler. Uh, it was called Rykoff, Croft Road. I didn't have the number, but I had the road, and so he was going to take me the following day, and um, and then to some other places. There's not a lot to see in Lagos. It's not not a big tourist uh, destination. But anyway, so he picks me up the next day. Off we go, and you know the traffic is just nightmarish. There's just people everywhere. You know, it's you know all along the roadside. So we have to go into this one district, a papa district, where the road was, and it was now the home of the port. So there was like a lot of truck traffic and stuff. So we're crawling along, and I start—I just took a few pictures out, you know, with my with my phone camera out the window, just of the roadside people, you know, women carrying things on their heads and you know all this stuff. Suddenly, we get stopped by this police woman, sort of jumps in front of the car and you know makes us halt and um then she waves us over to the side of the road and joseph winds down his window and says yes you know what's going on so she's like well why are you taking pictures who are you why are you taking photos Mm -hmm. and um i'm like uh you know and he's like what's wrong with that it's not a crime to take photos so he gets a little sort of pushy back so we end up following having to you know kind of Go off to some little kiosk, police kiosk there, and she wants to grab my phone and see what I've been taking pictures of. And Joseph wouldn't let me; wouldn't let her take the phone. He just sort of showed her in the thing. Then, on the other side, another policewoman comes on my the passenger side and tries to open the door. The door was was broken actually I was quite glad it was so she's like knocking on the door. I ignored her because I figured we're you know Joseph's handling it out his side of the window so this goes on for a while. <clears throat> Then finally he gets out of the car and uh, says, I will be back. So he locks me, cloak, you know, winds up the window, locks me in the car, and I'm just sitting there. Meanwhile, all these people, this is quite a scene at this point, all these people are like gathering around looking, you know, and he's just like, what's going on? This drama with this, you know. Those white Westerners go, you know, what's going on in the police? So, uh, and it's you know, I'm trying to sort of ignore them and just look straight ahead, you know, I don't want to catch anybody's eye. Then I look at, and it's getting hot, it's getting very stuffy inside the car. And I'm like, oh my God, when's this, you know, what's going to happen now? So I figured, you know, worse comes to worse, I'll just call the embassy. I mean, I, you know, I wasn't doing anything. So, um, all of a sudden, I hear this odd sound, and I look out the window, and there's a guy like at the at the wheel of the tire, and he was like deflating the tire, letting the air out of the tires. And then he sort of went out of the front wheel. Then he went to the back, and he had this little, you know, the the, the air was out of the tires. Then I'm like, oh God, now what's happening? Is that is he filling? And I could I couldn't make out what he was doing. He had a little pump little machine, I'm like, is he taking the air out or putting it in, is that why they stopped us because the tires were underinflated finally, Joseph comes back and he's like, you know upset and I can see this is. so I don't even ask, he starts the car, then all of a sudden this, um, oh before that he made a a phone call and he said, I'm with a, uh, I didn't know who he was calling, some sort of complaint line I'm with a a friend and she's a white lady and they pulled us over and I don't know what's going on so, you know, we get, he comes back and all of a sudden the back door opens and the police woman gets in. And then there's another guy who gets in, a more well-dressed man. And then, oh, and, and then another man that who had actually taken a photo off, you know, just out the window. And before when one of these police officers, these women had seen, she's like, she had seen the photo. She's like, I know that man. And she, like, rushed off, and she'd actually gone to fetch the man and bring him back, And I'm, so he gets in the car. And
0: I'm like, oh, God,
1: now what? <laughs> so I figured, you know, I didn't ask anything, you know, it was very tense silence in the car. So we drive through. I figured we must be going to the police station, and sure enough, you know, we push through this traffic and get to this uh Cement block police station, and, and go in and go into an office, and it turns out to be like the local police chief's office, and he's standing there, very smart and and you know well well groomed. And I sit down, he's like, "Well, what what is going on here? You know, what is going on?" And uh, and and so I, you know, this the police woman starts saying, "Well, she was videoing out the window. She was videoing." And I and he said, "I want to hear from Madame." Well, Madame, what was what was going on? i said well i wasn't actually videoing i, I took a f- couple photos because i wanted to go joseph was taking me to see where i used to live as a baby on Ryecroft road and i showed him and i had a, a scanned an old photo from my you know from that time and it was actually my father's in front of this apartment building holding my sister a baby so i showed him i said that's what you know i'm trying to find this building and he's like, "Oh, is that you in the photo?" And I said, "Oh, yes. So I don't I didn't want to complicate matters. Yeah. Saying it was my sister." He's like, "Oh," and he's like, "Oh," and he smiles and he says, "Oh." And he's like, "That's what you were here for?" And I said, "Yes. I've just come. I'm just looking. I was just taking photos just to have a memory, you know, of where I lived one time, and just to see this building. You know, we lived here in nineteen, you know, sixty-five, sixty-six. And he's like, "Oh," and then he swishes through other photos and he says. Says to the police, you see, they are always taking selfies. You see all the, ladies, like showing all these selfies. That's so
0: funny.
1: <laughs> yeah. So then he's like, says to Joseph, what about you? What do you, and so anyway, you know, so Joseph says, blah, 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 And then they tell him off because apparently he had not said what the mission was to find this building, although I mm. thought it was. But anyway, so they gave him sort of a scolding. And, um, and then he's like, all right, you know, that, that is enough here, you, know, you know, and you, you make sure when the police tell you to, to, to do something, you do it. And uh, so she's like, oh, just like, yes, yes, I'm very sorry. He hangs his head, mm-hmm. and so off we go. <laughs> so then we had to drive the police woman back to her kiosk, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. just funny because they don't have a lot of police cars and vehicles so we had to be the police so it was just and the and the and the man that I had taken the photo of the
0: random man yeah
1: this random man and he's like and you what are you doing here and and and, and he's just kind of like and so he's like all right go 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 (laughs) so that was the it was just a very odd scene. Yes. Yeah, uh,
0: welcome. <laughs> so quite welcome. Right. They obviously country.
1: were not used to foreigners, yeah. uh, tourists. She thought we were some kind of spy. That's what mm. she thought. Taking photos of the um, the roadway into the port or something, maybe to blow it up. I, you know, who the hell mm-hmm. knows what her um, motivations were. But it was just a very... Uh, so afterwards we were kind of laughing about it and he's like, well, I'm glad we allowed, you know, Joseph wasn't, he was like, oh, I'm glad I'm, you know, we can laugh about it. So anyway, we found the building, you know, we found Rykoff Road and it looked like we found the building. It was similar to the one in the, the picture. I had the photo, the old photo. And this time we asked, there was a guard outside. So we asked him if we could go in and explain why I wanted to see the building. So we went like inside the the gate and I took a picture, and and that was that. But so, and then we went around a few other places. I said that there's not a lot to see there, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was interesting, you know, all the same, just to drive around. And...
0: So, um, I how did you go about booking your driver?
1: Well, that was an interesting thing. So, I first I found, I, <coughs> having done a lot of foreign reporting, I knew I needed a driver. Mm-hmm. So I contacted through LinkedIn, I tried to find some names of like um, Nigerian foreign correspondents, and I found the name of someone, and I found them on LinkedIn, and I sent him a message, I sent him a letter, and he said, okay, and I said, you know, do you know, could you take me, or know of someone I could hire for the day, and said, yes, 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 so it, I never got an answer back from him, I checked him, I'm still working on it, I'm thinking, well, it's been like a week, you know, you're still working on it, so... I didn't know what really to do. When I get to Stockholm, the person I was staying with, um, um, she said, do you need a driver in in, Nigeria, in Lagos by any chance? And I said, you know, I do. She said, well, I have a friend of mine who was married to a Nigerian. She goes there quite a bit. She can recommend something. So I said, great. So she gave me her the phone number and I called him on WhatsApp because that's that's also very much used uh abroad as mm-hmm. it's, it's a free um you know t- phone calls so i phoned him on whatsapp and that's how i got the driver
0: okay yeah so not a traditional at all
1: kind of <laughs> yeah it all worked out in the end i you know i i wasn't uh, you know the other way to do it i was just going to ask at the hotel you know can oh, you okay. can you mm-hmm. yeah at the reception desk uh you can do that too so it all worked out. So then the next day, he picked me up. I had like half a day. My flight was in the late afternoon, so uh, it was very hot and humid. We went to like a little conservation park and then we walked to some jungle, you know, canopy walk, I think. Uh, he took me downtown to some um, square where there had been, a, I don't know, I'm not really, independence de- demonstrations. Um, just a few different things another place where they was um, known for music stuff and that I didn't feel comfortable there were people smoking pot and stuff and I just didn't want to get caught up in that you know mm-hmm. that's another thing I'd never get caught up in any kind of I didn't feel comfortable there everybody was looking at me and I just said let's let's just go mm-hmm. so um, yeah I went to an art gallery where you know that was another thing went around some uh, art gallery and stuff so it was an interesting couple days. I, I'm glad I only, you know, I scheduled two days for it and that was enough.
0: Mm-hmm. Probably not much to do past that. <laughs> only two days exactly. worth of things to do and see. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. But I, you know, I went with a mission and I did accomplish the mission. So, <laughs> <it was laughs> uh, so then I flew um, onto Johannesburg and got to Johannesburg and got a. Um, think i'd arranged uh uber or the guy from i arranged like a bed and breakfast again an airbnb it was like a little bed and breakfast thing and he came and picked me up and um it was very near the airport i stayed near the airport and then the next day i had this day tour Mm. and that was much you know much better i got a uh, breakfast and then picked up and you know went to uh the tallest building in africa which is downtown johannesburg and then out to see um, the Nelson Mandela's house um, and there's some stuff around that that neighborhood where he, he came from Soweto and um, and then the um, couple of other where they um, lived uh, where there was a, an old prison where they the political prisoners were held and that's that was not, that's now a museum Went there, and the next door is uh, is now part of the South African Supreme Court of Justice. So we went in there. Um, went to another um, apartheid museum. That was really a beautiful museum um, about the history of the apartheid um, regime. So it was a yeah. So it was a really good day of, and again, you know, got it all in in one day. And then the next morning, the guy at the little, you know, Ponce Airbnb was supposed to take me to the airport at like 6 o'clock in the morning. So I get up in the morning, I, you know, have my uh, breakfast and stuff, and this guy is nowhere to be found. And I'm like, oh, God, you know. And then I thought, well, to hell with it. I'll try, I'll just get a call for an Uber. You know, you can, there's Ubers everywhere. But I couldn't get, so I called, I you know, get the Uber on the way. Then I couldn't get out of the Compound. It was like mm-hmm. in a metal gate. And it was all locked because, again, Johannesburg is not a very safe city. I couldn't get out. And I'm looking around for keys. And I managed to get out of the actual house that was, mm-hmm. that was converted into this little hotel. So I got out into the front garden. And then, I, then I'm like, okay, great. And then I, you know, I couldn't get out of the, this gate. And, of course, there's this huge wall, like a seven-foot-high wall. So then I'm looking around for some kind of a remote. I, I know there was some kind of control for that gate because when we had arrived, so I actually go to the, into the cars in the garage and I open the door. The door was open. I see the remote. And I'm like great. So I'm like clicking the remote and the gate doesn't open. My God, now so I had to call, I called and just to cancel the Uber. So now I'm thinking now what? How am I going to get out of this place? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I had to go back to the desk, and I'm looking around the desk, and then I thought, you know what, let me just call the, the, the number. I, I just called the hotel, and it turned out the guy had overslept or forgotten about me, I don't know, and he had the phone with him. All of a sudden, I hear the phone ringing, and it's down in, in a bedroom, and then mm. in a minute later, I said, uh, I'm here, you know, you're supposed to be taking me to the airport, and a few minutes later, he emerges from some bedroom with the phone in his hand. Not a no apology or oh, no you know, nothing. <laughs> you know, luckily it was just a ten minute, ten minutes to the airport. Luckily, I, but it was just again, it was kind of this like locked in. I yeah, can't kind get out. Yeah, a little bit of fear. Know. <laughs> yeah, I know it's like an odd thing. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess they do that to make sure nobody you know leaves without paying. I don't know. It's like i you know you can prevent people from coming in, but it was just weird to be prevented from leaving. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so it all worked out, got there in plenty of time, and got on to my flight to Endola, which was um, in, it's not the capital of Zambia, but it's another town in the north in the Copper Belt, and um, and again, we got there early, so I waited for a while, but the, the woman came and picked me up from the hotel, little uh, hotel, and she was very nice, and I told her, I didn't have a driver, so I said, you know, my mission is to go to Muffalera tomorrow, which is about I don't know 20 miles or something Uh, it was a little bit of a distance and she's like oh yes we can get a driver for you I'm like okay great so she did she fixed up a driver and um and you know the next morning I went with him and again it was really interesting I saw a big an Atlas Copco uh building with Atlas Copco on I said oh that's the company my father worked for And and he knew it and And again, because it's a copper mining town, everything there revolves around mining, so people know that stuff. And again, Mm -hmm. I had grown up with that stuff, but nobody really knows about mining, you know, it's one of these obscure obscure industries. So again, it was just like this other touch point of my childhood, you know, of of mining stuff, the mining industry. And yeah, so we just drove, and it was just really interesting. It was a Sunday, so people were on the roadside, you know, dressed going to church or playing football and selling things and then we get to Muffalera and sort of it emerges out of the bush and it's way it's only like 12 kilometers from the, the border of Congo and um, we enter the town so all of a sudden the, it, you know you see the welcome sign and then it looks like an English town had just been sort of dropped down in the middle of the the African bush and this was well because the mine had been owned by a British uh, mining company before it got during independence, it was all nationalized, so it was like it was just fu- just really funny because it was there were these brick houses with chimneys and hedges and lawns and you know and there was a all these the swimming club and the tennis club, and you know my parents had told me about these things that was all built by the mine for the expat workers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, decades ago. So we, we drove around, and it was just pretty... We found the hospital where my mother had worked and found the mine, of course, where my father had worked. And um, I didn't know... They couldn't remember where they lived, so I, I couldn't get that. But it was just, again, it was just really, you know, surreal. And this mine was massive. It's a massive, massive copper mine, and it just it just went on for miles, and just these huge mountains of tailings, you know, all the the waste...
0: Mm -hmm.
1: stuff and um, and the downtown area and and the golf course my parents didn't play golf but they told me there was a golf course there and we found the golf course and uh, in the middle of the the African bush there was this golf course and now it's um, there's a lot of Chinese mining investment stuff there but and again it was just really yeah it was just again it was just a really cool thing to see this place that I'd heard about um, since my childhood Mm -hmm. it was just and it was just funny, this this little African, these little, you know, these English-looking houses, um, which were totally unlike, you know, the the native, the African uh, houses and stuff. So it was just funny, and, and at the hotel there was also a wedding, it was like a, uh, uh, they called it a kitchen party, which I guess is some sort of like a... a shower you know going on so there was all this music and there was a you know they had this ritual so I stood there and watched and they were all very friendly and invited me to come and sit down and and stuff like that so it was just uh it was very nice yes,
0: yeah I'm so i sure enjoyed. that seeing that little shower too you kind of got a little taste of maybe some some local culture some local uh-huh. experiences there which you can't plan for that. You can't plan to no. see that. That just, <laughs> um, another gift of traveling is sometimes you happen upon something and it's, you know, you can't, you oh, can't yeah, pay totally for s- that experience. You can't right. plan Right, totally for it.
1: spontaneous. Mm-hmm. But they were all, and again, I didn't feel uh, uncomfortable there. They call Zambia the land of smiles. And people were mm-hmm. smiling and very friendly. Whereas in Nigeria, I mean, they were completely not mm-hmm. smiling and not very friendly. Uh, So completely different sort of vibe, you know, it was a very friendly vibe there. And, um, so then I, I flew out, that was the Sunday. So on the Monday, I flew down to Livingston, which is where Victoria Falls is the big waterfall. And my parents had gone there of course. And, um, it's right on the border of Zimbabwe. Um, so I stayed in a little hotel there and, um, Walk down, I got a tour, to, I get a tour to the, to go see the falls, or you can get a bus, or some some sort of mm-hmm. bus down, and it was in the dry season, so the falls weren't exactly the, at their fullest, but there's still water going over, but there was drought, uh, the drought meant there was energy, electricity rationing, mm-hmm. so we only had uh, electricity every other night, actually, that stay, because there was the country runs on hydroelectricity and then with the drought, you know, there's not enough electricity. Which is one of the, you know, problems of the these developing countries is that infrastructure. But it was cool. It was, you know, to see that and um, and then see you go, you know, along
0: the road you can see zebra and um, you know, some antelope, you know, <laughs> just
1: sort of grazing there. And then I booked a um, a day trip to Chobe National Park in Botswana. So that was uh, just a, again, a day trip and went there. And, and that was really cool. Went to a, you know, a national park and saw tons of animals, lion, giraffe, um, elephant, um, all kinds of gazelles and antelopes. So it was a really tremendous day. I really, I really loved that. And it was pretty hot. It was a hot uh, time. So it was cool, and 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 then I went um, white water rafting one day too on the Zambezi River, and I've done that a couple times in Costa Rica, and um was very where I go I, I know I went in Costa Rica, maybe in some one other place. I can't remember. Um, so it was just cool, to, and that was really fun, on the, to do that to go on the Zambezi River and. Then I went into a little uh, museum, and then I'm in the museum, and the, the electricity cuts out in the middle of the museum. So we're all going around with our iPhone flashlight, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at the museum. <laughs> and it was like this dusty little museum, and there I saw another thing that my mother had always told me about, which was when this British woman had gotten uh, killed, attacked, on a road, it was in the early 60s, and the, the independence movement was, was, well, you know, start, just starting, and this woman had got attacked and burned um, as she was driving from Endola back to Mufalira and she got attacked on the road, and she ended up dying, and there it was in this museum, mm-hmm. you know, and it happened just before my mother got there, so, you know, the expat community was very, you know, buzzing about this this attack but it was a you know a document a part of zambian history and there it was mm-hmm. in the museum you know this this story of this woman and then there was a trial of the men and whatnot um so again it was just a you know again it was another sort of touch point with my childhood that sort of i saw there it was you know mm-hmm. suddenly um so that was a really, it was a cool time, yeah. So that was a, I spent a couple days there, and I bought a bunch of, I, there was a market, so I went on my last day and bought a bunch of uh, souvenirs and carvings and all that stuff, because I, I love to buy all that stuff and bring back. And um, then I went on to Nairobi and got to the airport, and then, um, yeah, got to Nairobi, changed planes. And again, I, I'd been to Nairobi many years ago as a, as a kid um gone to national parks there so i didn't stop there and then flew on to doha and my cousin met me in the morning and uh, took me back to her sort of expat compound and Mm. and um where a whole bunch of expats live you know the population of qatar is mostly foreigners you know some of those those gulf states and then she took a little tour around and one of the weird things in doha they have um you know, because it's so hot there. Of course, they have these bollards in the street that just spew air conditioning into the street. Wow! <laughs> yeah. Whoa, I've I mean, never it's, even it's heard so. Of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's so. They have so much money. I mean, so they so, like put air conditioning in the streets. And just yeah, I was gonna say, and then they have these buildings. I mean, the architecture of these buildings is just like phenomenal. I mean, just these fabulous, fabulous buildings, and most of them empty actually. Mm-hmm. And, um, but they have all this, you know oil money and um, so they build all these fabulous architecture and stuff so that was a really again it was just a, a cool thing D- totally different again than Africa and Sweden mm-hmm. and then got on my plane for my long I don't know what was it 16 hour journey or 14 hour journey or whatever it was back to Los Angeles wow. so that was my trip That's Yeah, cool. and it's that,
0: a, that is definitely a trip <laughs> it's yeah. a lot of stuff
1: it was, a lot, it was a weird trip because I was on this personal sort mm-hmm. of uh, pilgrimage, but, um, but it all went really well. I mean, you know, it all, all the fights went off as clockwork, which is always, you know, I'm always grateful for that. And apart from the, 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 the run-in with the police in, the, in Lagos, Nigeria, and the, and the weird thing in South Africa try, trying to get out of the hotel,
0: um, everything else was, you know, it all ended up well um i have another question about currency when you're talking about souvenirs how did you go about getting currency in these places did you use card for certain things were you able to use like a credit card or did you just plan and get cash in advance how did you go about that
1: yeah i well in those kind of places there's not a lot of credit cards Mm -hmm. the i booked the hotels through Tripadvisor and i paid for those pretty much already i think yeah i think all of those have been paid by credit card but you know you have to pay um Bring dollars. I always bring, you know, a certain amount of cash in American dollars. And the other thing I had also forgotten, and um, which is very true all over the world, is you have to bring new bills. Mm-hmm. And a lot of places, if you have a bill that's been used and it looks a little dirty, or it's, or there's a bit torn off, or it's, or it's creased, they won't take it. Uh, and so that I, you know, I I'd forgotten that, and some of my bills were were. Used looking, they, they want new bills. They won't take an, a used-looking twenty-dollar bill. But luckily, I had enough stuff in Sweden. It's almost a cashless society. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to change any um, currency whatsoever. Um, I just used a you know my my debit card everywhere. So that was cool. But in these other places, I had to uh, usually I, I, I get cash at the airport. I get a certain amount of cash for the taxi if I need if I'm you know doing the taxi. Um, it's just easier. Sometimes you can get a better deal at a, you know, bank, but it's just easier just to get a a Mm -hmm. bunch of cash at the airport and then you're sad. You don't have to worry about it. the other aspect of that is changing money. People see you going into a bank, you're foreign, they know you're coming out with a bunch of money, you know? So I, I, I often, I usually just change into the currency when I arrive.
0: Okay. And so I know this is, a like, a lot of personal aspects to this journey, but is there some certain parts of the trip that you would recommend to a traveler? Like, would you say you have to go do this? The, you know, like, would there be aspects that you would recommend to people to go do?
1: Well, if you're into, uh, if you like Europe, I mean, if that's, I mean, Sweden is lovely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's and it's very easy to get around. Um, and it's a great you know, you can take a train and down over to Oslo and, you know, Copenhagen, all the, that area. I think that's that's area. If you're more adventurous, I think, you know, going to uh, the Victoria Falls and Zambia is a great, a great trip. It is a little bit more rugged and you have to be a little bit more adventurous. There are luxury hotels, of course, there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's. It, I, I really liked it, and I, as I said, I didn't feel threatened or, you know, unsafe there, and I, I walked around by myself quite a bit, and um, it was
0: fine. Okay. And what would you say was the hardest part of this trip, and overall, like, what was something that was really difficult for you? You are an experienced traveler, but was there something particular about this that was difficult?
1: Oh, I probably just you know getting at that airport you know getting out of the airport and is, is sometimes the, the most difficult thing because you, you never know if you're getting ripped off by some mm-hmm. taxi I was getting a appro- this was at Lagos airport and I was getting approached by people I didn't mm-hmm. know where this guy was and then I had to sort of plunge outside to try and find him and um you know it was it was a pretty it was nighttime. Um, there's people all over the place. I didn't really know where I was going. I could sense people fall, you know, sort of looking at me, you know, watching what I was doing. There weren't a lot of uh, foreigners around, so that was probably the sort of the, the most uh, difficult part. Mm-hmm. And as I said, I, I mean, I had and I had a driver coming to pick me up, but it, yeah. you know, it just <laughs> obviously not that uh, swift of a guy. But um, so that was probably the hardest thing.
0: Okay. Let me think if I have any other questions. I mean, the journey, it sounds like you patched so much in, To You know, you did so much in within this three week time period, which was probably so exhausting, but fulfilling and, you know, accomplished. Yeah, it really, it really
1: was fulfilling. I really felt glad. And, and, and I was just, it really went well because I thought, mm-hmm. you know, I would so many, like, you know, dominoes. You know, sometimes it's, you know, one thing if it goes wrong, then it affects the whole chain of events. Mm-hmm. I booked these hotels and I booked all the, you know, I had all these flights and connections, but it all went smoothly. I mean, it really did. It all went really well. Um, so I was really happy about that. And, and things work, you know, serendipitously worked out. I found that driver, you mm-hmm. know, in, in Stockholm, this woman connection connected me to some guy in Lagos and, you know, he, he did get me around and he was, you know, very nice and whatnot, so that was, a you know, worked out, and uh, got the driver I needed in in Endola to go to the um, Mofalera. I was going to take a bus, and she's like, and she said, no, don't take a bus, you know, we'll get you a driver. I said, okay, fine,
0: you know.
1: Okay, yeah. So, um, yeah, and it just worked out, and, and really
0: well, you yeah. know. Um, do you plan to go to any of these places again in the future? Like, do you want to return to any of these places? I'd love
1: to see Victoria Falls in the wet season. Okay. You know, with at full strength with the Zambezi River, it's, and I'd I'd love to go back and see that a full, full blast. Mm-hmm. It would be cool. And I'd like to see more of Sweden, definitely um, more Scandinavia in general. But I think that would be fun to see more of the countryside of Sweden. Um, yeah I think I'll, I'll give Nigeria a miss <laughs> I, don't to, I don't need to go back there uh, I'd like to go back to South Africa to Cape Town Johannesburg mm-hmm. I, I I wouldn't bother with again but I've, I've heard great things about um, Cape Town and Kruger National Park mm-hmm. it's supposed to be really good so I'd like to go back to other areas of South Africa
0: and on that same line of questioning, do you have any future travel lined up, and things are just starting to kind of reopen, and do you have anything lined up, do you have tickets bought, or plans to be made? <laughs> well, I have a writing conference
1: uh, in Iceland in oh. November, which I'd wa- I've been wanting to go for a few years, and um, the la- it's held every other year, so... So, you know two years ago I really wanted to go and I just didn't and so I really want to go this year and it got canceled last year so mm-hmm. it's on this year it's in November um, so I bought my ticket for the conference which isn't very expensive but I haven't bought my air ticket or anything yet because mm-hmm. so I don't know I mean I it's just I'm gonna wait a couple more months see how this whole Delta variant yeah
0: mm-hmm. plays
1: out but I'm hoping to go to Iceland and if I go there hopefully go to Norway as like a two-hour flight from Reykjavik and I could go to Norway for a couple of days and then go over to, to Reykjavik um maybe fit in Copenhagen or Denmark mm-hmm. but again it sort of all dep- depends on these you know COVID travel stuff
0: oh, of course Iceland is on it's close to the top of my list with places that I want to go to next and I have some friends who've been there, or, you know, like, influencers that I follow, like, people who live in Iceland. And I'm not a huge snow person, but you can't deny how gorgeous the country is, or how many fun things there are to do. And um definitely very interested to go to Iceland. So maybe I'll have to contact you afterwards to hear about that yeah. trip.
1: <laughs> well, I suppose, yeah, I mean, it just looks fabulous and it's small you know you can easily get around there's a lot of natural things and in november it'll be somewhat cold but Mm -hmm. not really cold but there's also the chance of seeing the northern lights which would be you know fabulous um to see that uh it's supposed to be very expensive that's the that's the drawback Mm -hmm. so um but i sort of know i can i know how to travel cheaply and you know it is what it is you know Mm -hmm just to go but yeah it just looks it looks stunning the landscapes
0: do you have any countries that you have yet to go to but that you are like on your bucket list must go any countries
1: i'd love to go in europe area i'd love to go to greece um i haven't been there and in asia i'd love to go to to uh india but again mm-hmm. it's you know which is having its, a, a covid disaster yeah. at the moment but um yeah i'd love to go to india
0: India also, I've always been super drawn to India, I don't quite know why, I've always had some underlying connection, and I really want to go there as well, and hoping that I'll get that opportunity somehow in the future, to maybe to travel with someone, mm-hmm. as a self-traveling well, woman, you know.
1: <laughs> yes, well, we'll keep in touch yeah <laughs> yes. our, travel,
0: our travel plans. Uh, yes. Yeah,
1: I'd love to do that, but uh, yeah, we'll see how, you know, I think we've got a way to go with this pandemic, Mm -hmm. and um, see how it goes. Right now, for example, Iceland, you can get in, you know, no problem, as long as you show a vaccination card. Um, Getting back into the U.S., I I guess you have to show a proof of a negative test, so I would have to find somewhere to have a test and pay for that, so that's kind of a pain. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we'll just see how it goes. Mm.
0: So, um, you've traveled a bunch of places, I've said this so many times already, but if there is, is there one story that, say you only had three minutes with a person, and they asked a travel story from you, what would you tell them? What's, do you have yeah. a particular story that you always pull out of your pocket for, um, <laughs> a I have like a bunch moment? of, like,
1: journalist
0: stories.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I have a bunch of journalist stories, which is a little bit different, because I sort of fall into a different um category just thinking about travel stories and um I loved going to in Bolivia to the Salar de Uyuni and I went uh, there and that was a really that was my one of my favorite times it was it was before apparently it's got very now commercialized it wasn't as, as commercial as I went um some years ago and went on like in a jeep three days camping around this huge salt plain that is like, I forget how many meters into the air. You're at six or 7,000 meters in the air. I mean, it's in the middle of the Andes and it's a salt plain and we chewed coca leaf, you know, (laughs) for the altitude. Yeah. And camped out and made, you know, coca tea and stuff. And it was just really cool. And And the sights were just spectacular, you know, flamingos in this lake and, It was very geologic, you know, so there was different colored lakes and Mm -hmm. uh, very stark um, scenery and stuff. It was really gorgeous.
0: Bolivia, I recently was talking to someone that I met, and he was a teacher in Bolivia. And he says it's, like, one of the most amazing places that he's ever been. It's just super gorgeous and under the radar. Not a lot of people think to travel there. Uh But um, he said it's was crazy and he was in kind of the rural part of the mountain Um, mountain village teaching um classes and things there so definitely put that on my radar for sure Bolivia um I want to travel a lot more of South America (laughs) Um, yeah well Bolivia
1: yeah that the advantage to that is it's mostly pretty cheap too Mm -hmm. especially Bolivia is really cheap um But it's cool. I mean, you know, and La Paz is also very high up. So, I mean, you can really feel it when you when you get out and you're like huffing and puffing, you know, the the, the air is so thin. Mm-hmm. Um takes a, it takes a bit to get used to that altitude. That was fun. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, okay, and I ask this question to everybody, but what is your travel philosophy? Why do you think it's important for you particularly to go see the world or for other people to get out there and see things that maybe they're, that are very different from their own experiences?
1: I think it's, you know, basically the best education out there. Mm-hmm. I really do. I just feel it's like there's nothing... Like being and seeing something in person, you can watch it all you want on television, National Geographic, or whatever. But you know, when you meet other people um, from different cultures, languages, religions, you know, whatever, and you find out that they're we're all the same, you know, mm-hmm. humanity. That's all like a, a superficial layer, which makes travel really interesting. But when you go beyond that. We're all the same, you know. Uh, There was one time in Jordan, this is a story actually, a travel story I tell a lot, is, um, you know, I was traveling in Jordan uh, from the ruins of Petra to Amman on a bus. And I started talking to this... There was a woman traveling with three or four children. And one of the little girls, that she's about 12, wanted to practice English. So she sees, you know, that I'm there and starts speaking to me in English and whatnot. But anyway, the mother invites me back to their house in Amman. They were having a birthday party or something. So I said, okay, sure. So I go with them. I didn't... You know, it was a woman and children. I didn't feel threatened or anything. And I go back to her house and... Um, And there, there were some women preparing the food and stuff. And there were two rooms. One was for the women, and one was for the men. It just had very plain, just wooden chairs around the perimeter of the room. And, you know, in the kitchen, the women were preparing these mounds, trays of food, and children running all over the place, and, you know, snatching, trying to steal little bits of the sweets and stuff. And it it just could have been in a kitchen anywhere in the world. You know, it was the same scene that you could have been anywhere, you know, the food was different, the women were dressed differently or what have you, but it was, it was the same scene, you know, that could have been anywhere. And it was just, um, and I was like, wow, you know, and it just strikes you that that's the same, we're all the same. Mm
0: -hmm, The sense of community and family and the importance of food and celebration. Yeah, that's universal. Yeah, Um, it's just mm -hmm.
1: universal. And you just learn about that. And I think so many more people um, there'd be much more empathy and compassion if more people traveled and where more, more people were open would open their minds.
0: Well, as we're closing it down, let's talk about some of your books, which I have two of them. I don't know how many you've written, but um, <laughs> yes, I have two that you know. I've yet to read, so they're next on my list of to read. And now that I'm oh, back. Okay, in, Back in New York, I have plenty of time on the subway <laughs> to read all the books. Um, so, you wrote Skin of Tattoos before Girl on the Brink, or am I confused?
1: Well, they, yeah, they both started about the same time, okay. and then I went back and forth, so they ended up coming out the same sort of the same time. But, um, yeah, one is based on. Um, interviews i did with gang members in el salvador and and los angeles and again it tries to go beyond the skin of tattoos beyond the superficial Mm -hmm. what drives that sort of gang thing and being a reporter you write about you know the 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 who what when where why and how and then you don't really get to to a lot to get beyond to go beyond that you know so that was my um Aim with that. And, and again, it was one of those instances where I was on the street and I realized this gang member just, you know, he wanted a job. He asked me for a job. You know, I was mm-hmm. interviewing him and he's like, you know, Senora, do you, do you have a job? I have a big, you know, I have a girlfriend, I have a six month old baby, and I really need a job. And I just looked at him and was like, whoa. You know, you're just mm-hmm. like any other 21 year old.
0: Humanizing. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: So um, that's the story of a guy who wants to get out of the gang life, um, but he finds it very difficult. And one of the things most difficult is his own ego, because he sees when he's been in prison. And when he gets out, he sees that his rival has taken over as the leader of the gang. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, that that should have been me. So he's got to, you know, there's some internal struggles and external struggles there. So he gets sort of back into it and um, ends up pretty deeper deeper into it than uh, than ever, with some okay. disastrous consequences. I hope to write a sequel to that. That's in my
0: yeah, I think I'm more excited to read this one. I think I'm I'm like, this is the one I'd grab first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> based Good. on the, the yeah. of it. it and then the other one is called Girl on the
1: Brink. It's a young adult novel and it's sort of based more on my own experience, um, in a, in a bad relationship and an abusive relationship. And it's a girl who's, you know, meets, she thinks she's 17, meets, she thinks the like, the guy of her dreams and he starts showing a very dark side of his, um, personality, you know, Mm -hmm. and then she's got to extricate herself from that relationship. Okay. Um, And if, how
0: do people buy these books? What's
1: the best way to buy them? They're on Amazon. If you want an uh, autographed copy, you can contact me through my website, ChristinaHogue.com. But they're, they're on Amazon. There's, um, there's an audio book. Also a girl on the brink audio book in production for Skin of Tattoos, um, paperback, Kindle, you know, mm-hmm. they're on Apple Books, if you do Apple Books, they're on Apple Books as well.
0: Okay, very accessible. Yeah. That's the aim,
1: yes, to Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, of
0: course, you want uh, people yeah. to get them, and especially with Amazon, now you can get anything on Amazon in a That's day or two totally. days, you know. Um, I'm very excited to read these. I wish I would have gotten to them before recording this podcast, so I, we could have chatted a little more about them. But um, I will still read them, and I am very excited to read them. I love reading, and these are n- they're novels, but they're based mm-hmm. on, them. Mm-hmm. so they're not yeah. like nonfiction books or right. you know memoirs. Right. They were both
1: totally fictionalized. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, so as we're closing this down. Is there anything you want to shout out? You did say your website, which I will put in the bio, but is there any other thing that you want to shout out? Yeah, you think uh,
1: people can sign up for my newsletter, okay. which hopefully I should be sending one out somewhat soon, I don't know. Uh, I'm working on a novella right now, which is about got set in the Amazon jungle in South America, so that's got that, and then a mystery story, a mystery novel, um, you know, full length, so that hopefully will be finished by the end of the year, but
0: yeah. Okay.
1: And then who knows if I get to
0: travel this year or yeah. I don't know when, you know? Mm-hmm. It's up in the air for everyone. Up in the air. <laughs> well, thank you so much for telling me this amazing story. Um, and I think I'm going to have to bring you on the podcast again because I know you have a lot to tell and I want to hear more of it. And if, I mean, you're a great storyteller as well. <laughs> oh, thank you. And author. Thank um, you. So I appreciate it. Great. Thank you so much. Well, thank, well thanks for having me. Thank you for sharing part of your week with us. Um, I really appreciate it. Let us know what you think. And I hope that you'll join me for my next episode.